Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning, Glory. How are we? It's good to see y'all. So I'm going to share a little bit about vulnerability, but I'm going to leave with an example today. I was a little nervous sharing because I got the best haircut in the room, but one of the things is when I use a new blade, for some reason I'm used to the dull one, so I cut really hard. So I, I got nice little nicks in the front of my head, and I'm like, oh, I'm preaching this week. And I got nicks right on the top of my beautiful forehead. So I'm like, I hope this doesn't bother anybody because the placement of the nicks look really kind of scary, if you know what I mean. If you think about what could grow out of that, right? Yeah? Okay, some of y'all didn't get it. That's fine. I'm going to move on. Okay, with that being said, I'm going to be speaking about vulnerability today. So the title of today's message is Vulnerability, the Secret Weapon of Fellowship. All right? So we're going to be diving into Scripture today, and it's going to be 2 Corinthians 6. Before I tell you the verses, I want to give you a little background on what's happening with the church of Corinth and why Paul is writing this letter, okay? So Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. This is the second one, okay? He's writing this letter to them because he needs to set some things straight in the church of what's been happening. So what's been happening thus far is they just need some reproof. Paul is giving them this reproof, but this might be the second Corinthian or the second letter, but he's already engaged with the church of Corinth a few times. At this point, he's already been there a few times. So by the time we get into the book of 2 Corinthians, they're reconciling, but he's pulled up on them a few times because he's need to talk to them face to face. Because we all know the fact that Paul has been told that he writes strong letters, but you know, in person he was very meek. And, and meager. He didn't have the same strong presence in person, but he needed to show up in person because he had to show them a couple of things and address a couple of accusations that's happening. So throughout the whole book of 2 Corinthians, what's happening is he is being accused, well, first off, he's being told that he's, he's vaguely incompetent because these other super apostles, as he deems them, have come to the, to the, the church of Corinth and they are well-dressed, they're well-spoken, very eloquent speech. We all know Paul didn't have that. Paul led like Jesus led. Paul led with this skin-on-skin vulnerability, right? He did life with him. But he was nothing like these new apostles. These new apostles, like I said, they presented very well. So he has to deal with this idea or this, this accusation that he's incompetent because he's presenting himself totally, totally contrary to these new apostles, right? So Paul, Paul indeed does plant the church of Corinth, and I, I think that's documented somewhere in the book of Acts. I want to say chapter 18. This is when he plants the church. So he's wondering why they aren't open to him, why they're not talking to him. And so he's addressing this by, first, this paradox, this lovely paradox, because Jesus, he lived life with them through suffering and persecution, And so that's the same thing that Paul is doing. He's living this life with them through suffering and persecution. His suffering is he has to work for a living. 
Meager means, right? He's got to swing that hammer, right? A lot of us in this room know what that means to swing the hammer. But he's also, his apparel doesn't look that great. Like he's, he's pretty much homeless. I don't know what you would term or coin a rolling stone back in that day, but that's pretty much what he was, right? So for a cultural comparison of how it would be, it would be as if everybody in this room started having sincere questions and doubts about Greg's leadership. Even though we all know Greg planted this church, right? Greg was instrumental in the Lord planting this church. But let's say I started making random accusations against, against Greg because, you know, Greg's got a weak shoe game and I don't like the way he dresses, right? <laughs> now, indeed, Greg does have a weak shoe game, but nonetheless, he knows the Lord really well, right? We know that he planted this church, right? So that's kind of one of the things we have to address, and he has to address. So, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he is starting to become really real with him and get vulnerable. What I want to submit to you today, Glory, is how many of us actually know how to use this weapon of vulnerability? Like have that actual real conversation, right? And what's keeping us from being vulnerable? What's keeping you from wanting to share your heart when we sit down one-on-one, right? What's keeping you from wanting to go to a small group and be real about what's going on with your life, right? So with that being said, I want you guys to all have this in the forefront of your mind when we're talking about vulnerability, okay? So feel free to go ahead and open up your books, open up your Bible, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11. So I'm going to start off with 11, 12, and 13. All right, cool. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open to us. So I want to sit here for a little bit because what Paul's basically saying is, hey, I'm being open and real with you. I am being vulnerable with you, but I'm not getting that in return from you. So I want to highlight a couple of words here. So that word affections at the end of verse 12, in the Greek, that's called splanknon. So splanknon, and like in a real literal sense, it's talking about the innermost parts of the human being, like the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, things of that sort. But here, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the seat of the emotions with Splanknon. For some reason, you guys are in your feelings towards me. You don't like me. Culturally, that's what we say, right? Like, you're in your feelings about something, and you won't open up to me about something. There's something going on. That's basically what Paul is saying. In the seat of your emotions, you won't come and take a seat with me, and let's work it out. Let's talk. You're not talking to me. How many of us actually do that? We'll have an offense with somebody. We'll never talk to them about it. We'll just hold on to that and we'll just play nice. We'll put on that mask. We'll smile. We will do the expected behavior. Paul's saying the expected behavior is not working anymore. The expected behavior is not getting you to grow deep roots, right? So I want to decipher between openness and vulnerability because there's a guise to vulnerability. Somebody can appear to be vulnerable, but they're just being open, right? So an example of being open, like in our day and age, somebody can be open-minded, right? I might be open to yoga. I might be open to trying new food. I might be open 
to getting hair plugs. I might have an open mind, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm not sharing a whole lot when I'm being open, right? So a better example of openness, <laughs> a better example of openness would be somebody that just overshares, right? So let me give you an illustration. An overshare would be somebody, let's say <laughs> they just got sick, they just went through a nasty sickness and, oh gosh, and that stomach bug wiped me out. I, I vomited and I had all kind of colors coming out, right? Like, gross, I don't need to know all those details, right? But in that oversharing, it almost gives you this idea that they want you to know what they went through, but they don't tell you what that sickness did to them, right? Now, if I get sick, let me give you a, an illustration of what vulnerability will look like as opposed to just oversharing. Man, a stomach bug wiped me out, man. I, I lost a week's worth of work, dude. I was so close to knocking down this debt ceiling. I just feel defeated every time this happens, right? Every time I get a step ahead, I take a step back, right? We've always heard that, right? Two steps forward, one step back, right? So that's the difference. Being vulnerable, I'm letting you come and take a seat with me in my emotions, right? I can overshare and it makes you think I'm being real with you. I'm not. I'm just talking too much. Like, we don't need to know certain things. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> my question is, with that in mind, the difference between openness and invulnerability, how many of us are actually having these real vulnerable conversations and these one-on-one -on -one interactions, right? So there's another thing I want to point out in this scripture. Back in the day, in his day and age, in Paul's day and age, the culture to be open, the, the Greek word for open was platuno, right? It was platuno. That means I'm going to open wide and vast and I'm going to have tender love and affection to you when we talk. Like, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to have this real conversation with you. And that's the kind of openness we actually need. In today's age, we call that vulnerability. This is what Paul was looking for. He wasn't just looking for that amongst them. He was looking for that when it was time to respond to him. Right? Because, like I said, he has to deal with the accusation that he's a false leader. We all have to deal with certain accusations. Sometimes these accusations are self-made, self-levied, right? And we're going through that stuff. And that's when we need to be vulnerable. That's when we need to bring it into small group. That's when we need to bring it into reach out, have that coffee, have that dinner date. Do what you gotta do to facilitate these real interactions. So, I wanna challenge you to think about what the scripture is going to propose to us next. So let's jump back in. And what the scripture proposes to us next in verse 14, verse 14 and 15, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement the temple of God with idols? for you are the temple of the living God. See, what I think is happening here, I think the Lord just quickened Paul's mind while he's writing this letter. Because there's something about being vulnerable and there's something about being shut down. When you're shut down, you're basically saying, I'm keeping this to myself. 
I'm gonna keep this in the dark. I don't want anybody to shine light on this. This is something that I'm going to stay believing, and this is something I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to. Beloved, that is darkness. When you keep something in the dark, you are not allowing the truth of the Lord to come into that. So when you are withholding your heart, when you are refusing to open up or connect in a way that needs to be, that really needs to happen to mature love, what you're basically saying is, I'm going to make this agreement with darkness. You might as well find a way to personify the enemy in darkness, dap them up and hug them and give them a head nod. That's what's happening when the heart is shut down and refuses to let anybody in. When the heart says, I'm not going to follow up on this impression that the Holy Spirit just gave me. The Holy Spirit just gave me this impression. I need to text this person. I need to follow up with them. I need to have this dinner. I need to have this hard conversation, right? Now, I'm not saying that as if you guys are on your own on that. I do that all the time. I just won't. I'll just hold it to myself. I'll put this person or this situation in a box, and then I shove that box away. It never comes back, right? But it's totally different when we choose to have fellowship and we choose to bring something to the light. Because what we're saying is, I want to hear the truth of the word. I want to hear what the Lord really thinks about this person or this situation. I really want to believe what the Lord says about this person or this situation. So when we bring things to the light, how can I illustrate? I want to illustrate this in a way that makes sense. I'm a big fan of the Olympics. I'm a big fan of the ceremonies, right? And when they, be, when they begin the ceremonies, they always light that torch, right? When you bring something into the light, it's like you're taking this dark, hidden torch and you're saying, light my torch. Because then you invite somebody in to share the word of God, to encourage you, to remind you of who you are. You get enough people lighting enough torches. I come to AJ. He shares that torch with me, I light his torch. He goes back home, maybe he lights Jess's torch, right? Before you know it, you've got all these people speaking life and truth into you, right? An illustration of this is I got a couple of men's groups that I participate in weekly, right? So I go to one on Friday morning, and I'm just sharing with them, I got to lay some stuff down. Like, I've been trying forever to be this realtor and this general contractor. It's not working, I'm gonna have to lay this down, right? And that was a deep-seated, shameful thing for me to say. I don't, I don't like admitting that I failed and I wasted years. That's how it felt for me. But I let them light my torch because I didn't provoke them to say what they said. They told me the truth of who I am. They told me the truth that I'm a well-spoken man. I can present, I can do whatever I wanna do, right? Now, I'm not going to sit up here and just lather myself on all their praises, but it felt good in that moment. I gave them an opportunity to light my torch. You see what I'm saying? It was that deep, dark vulnerability. I didn't want to share with anybody. I just wanted to keep trying to make it work. And so I don't want it to land as if it's always so easy to be vulnerable, because it's really not. I know it's not. There's so many cultural barriers when we're talking about vulnerability. In the culture of masculinity, I'm not sharing my weakness with another man, right? In American culture, it's just weak to, to overshare or to, to say you're struggling with something. Figure out your own problems. I get that. 
But I'm telling you, true masculinity in the kingdom is when I invite Luke out to dinner and I tell him what I'm struggling with and I let him remind me who the Lord says I am as a man, not what the culture says I need to be as a man. See, the culture will tell me I need to be stoic and indifferent. I need to show no emotions. Look, I have the best resting mean face ever, but there's times where people need to be invited in on my situation. You see what I'm saying? There's times because I don't know that my struggle may let somebody else know that this struggle is not unique, that I'm struggling with the same thing. I am struggling with discipline when it comes to watching too much TV. Or maybe one or two alcoholic drinks is becoming one or two, one or two a week, excuse me, or becoming one or two a night. See, we need to invite people in on whatever we're struggling with and let the light of fellowship come into that. So back to this idea, though, of it not being easy to be vulnerable. Beloved, I'm not telling you it will ever be easy. I can only speak to you from my, my cultural experience when I'm talking about vulnerable, uh, vulnerability and what holds me back from it. But what I can tell you is fellowship is the key. When you choose to dwell with people in a real, sincere, safe way. And that takes time. We have to cultivate that. And that's what Paul is saying throughout this whole little pericope of scripture. He's building upon the precept of first, be real with me. Let's take a seat in our emotions and talk through it, right? And then he's saying, you are sharing in darkness. You're making a pact with the enemy when you refuse to bring it to the table and you refuse to be vulnerable, right? He's saying, bring it to the light and let's let the light of the word and how the Lord says we are and who the Lord says we are through his eyes. Let him unpack that. So let's jump back into scripture. I, I want to help everybody understand what it looks like to cultivate this characteristic of vulnerability, especially in the bride. So in 16, <clears throat> these aren't random pivots that Paul is having. He is addressing a progression of how we grow together as believers. So as God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters, says the Lord. So there's another word I want to introduce here because there's some key words throughout the scripture that really help us understand what he's talking about and what we can miss when we're, you know, 2,000 years removed from their culture. So to dwell in them, to dwell in them means enikioi, right? That's the Greek word, enikioi, to dwell in. I'm saying, I'm gonna take a seat here, I'm gonna kick my feet up, and I'm gonna make this place my home. I'm gonna make this relationship my home. I'm gonna make this community my home. That's basically what he's getting at there. He is saying, when we choose vulnerability, when we choose to uh, reach out and have these conversations, we're kicking our feet up and we're saying we're gonna dwell there. And see, the Father can't dwell with you in darkness. The Father can't touch that place that you refuse to share with other people or refuse to share with anybody because he can't be in darkness. Think about what happens when you're in the dark. When you're in the dark, there's a natural, there's a natural thing that happens to our eyes, right? 
Like we can get used to seeing in the dark. I forgot what that, that term is, but your eyes adjust to the darkness. You see everything through the dark. You know where to walk, you know how to talk, you know how to maneuver through the dark, right? The problem is when you're in the dark, you see everything incorrectly. There are certain definitions, there are certain defining things to an object or circumstance that you can misinterpret because your perspective is darkened. You hear what I'm saying? You are not seeing things the way it needs to be seen. The Father can't dwell there. But when we say, when we invite the Lord in and we start having these real interactions and this real fellowship with people and we let people light our torch, then all of a sudden that darkened perspective is lit up. That darkened view of things is totally different. Now we can see everything in its true form, in its true sense, its true identity. There were certain, uh, there were certain objects and elements that we weren't seeing correctly, right? We weren't seeing all the little definitions and all the little twists and turns to a situation because we weren't inviting in the Holy Spirit. We weren't inviting in his people. We weren't letting them shed light on what needs to, to be lit up. You hear what I'm saying? So... I say this with this perspective that I personally, I believe the Lord is one of the greatest businessmen, uh, businessmen ever. Now, he wasn't able to display it as much throughout his ministry, but I believe one of the greatest investments he ever made in humankind was the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you now, he wants his ROI. He wants the return of his investment. So when sons and daughters won't bring things to the light, you're basically robbing him of his investment because he's invested things in me and you that are gonna pay dividends when we sharpen each other. When we have that dinner date, when we actually sit down and have fellowship. That investment comes to work when we move and operate in our giftings. When I have the gift of encouragement and I don't use it, we're basically telling the Lord, you don't, get, you don't get return on your investment. Screw that. I would rather sit here and agree with Satan and make this pact with darkness, right? But when I say, okay, I'll have that dinner date. Okay, I'm going to speak life. Okay, I'm going to come into this small group and I'm going to be honest. We're basically saying, okay, Lord, I want to see your money work. Because in the kingdom, his, his currency is relationships. He did not just make us sons and daughters so we can stay in that place of being sons and daughters. He made us sons and daughters so we can also grow up and be fathers and moms in the spirit. So when a son and a daughter is struggling and they bring that to a small group, he gets his return on his investment. When those moms and those dads step up in the faith and say, no, this is not who you are. You are more than a conqueror. You are pure. You're gonna be a great wife. You're gonna be a great mom. You see what I'm saying? He is getting his return. All these things are taking place in a real way because there is a there's a progression throughout the whole scripture. There's a progression throughout all of life to where, beloved, we all have to mature. And we have to grow up. And while we are growing up and while we are making ourselves vulnerable, we are creating this environment of agape love, this sticky love. This love that doesn't just flake out the minute I'm offended. 
the minute you, you made a poor joke or a distasteful joke, whatever causes us to shut down. So, there are so many things that can trigger us to shut down, to never talk again, to make that pact, to say, I'll never share my emotions with another woman again as a man, right? Because we've all, not just a man thing, but we all have had those moments when we were vulnerable with emotions and that was weaponized against us. We've all had those moments where we stepped out and we tried to be open and real with somebody and we faced rejection. See, all those experiences can make you say, I'll never be vulnerable again. I'll never be honest or real about anything in my life again. Because that is how the enemy works. He has a plan and he doesn't like when we step out and we're real with each other. And it's so much easier to start getting you to stew in that isolation and that darkness than it is anything else. It's easy for you to just get accustomed to seeing things with that darkened pact that says I'll never share again. The only way you get out of that place, beloved, for some of us, it's as simple as a one-on-one interaction. Small groups work. We can come, we can be real, and we can watch people swarm us with prayer. And we can watch things pay off in a matter of days. For others of us, like I needed, I needed therapy. I needed inner healing. So Splanknon, that Greek word I shared with you, that's also like an inner healing ministry, right? It's called Splankna, right? I'm, I did that once. I can't tell you, I felt like a kid again. Like, I felt emotionally available. And that's what I needed, but I had to bring that to the light. I had to share that darkness with somebody. But it was a safe place. And the biggest thing I want you to realize here is, I couldn't do it alone. I had to be real. I had to be vulnerable and I had to bring that thing to the light. And I had to find fellowship that was safe and that was healthy. So the biggest thing I want everybody to realize is we all play a part in each other's healing. I play a part in your maturing. I play a part in you becoming the man or woman of God you're supposed to be. We all do. So, Glory, I believe that's the mantle we have here. I believe the relationships we're building throughout the week and those one-on-one interactions, that is the pathway to learning how to strengthen each other. Because one thing about the, the Olympic ceremonies is when they're lighting those torches and then they light that flaming arrow. You ever saw them light the flaming arrow? Like the 1993 one, and, you're like, and then he shoots that bad boy, right? And before you know it, that light is spreading and then they light that cauldron. Beloved, we have that call. We have that opportunity to where we can light up a city. We can light up the darkness. We can light up the east side, midtown. We can light it up if we do the little things well. If we learn how to be real when we're talking to each other. When we learn how to be real when we come to small group. When we learn how to be real on a Sunday morning. Don't let that homeless person walk in off the street and you don't say a word to them. Slap them on the back. Say hi. Get to the place to where they want to feel safe 
to talk to you about their problems. Now, some of you will need training because you guys are so pure. Some of you are a little naive and you, know, though, you, know, you might just end up giving too much or not realizing certain things need to be done with discretion, but that's fine. It's still about facilitating this place that is safe and healthy to where people want to come in, get whole, get healed, and grow up. You see what I'm saying? So the whole idea of vulnerability is really so we can be strengthened to be real and honest, and that way the enemy has no more footstool or no more footholds in our life. There's nothing else hidden in the darkness because now I know I can send a text message or I can reach out to somebody and I can be real. I can bring it to the light. So that's what I want for all of us. I want us all to be able to answer that call and bring things to the light and let that vulnerability strengthen relationships. Amen? So... I'm going to be a little more honest and vulnerable here. I struggled coming to glory. I did not want to be here. I'm going to be honest with you. I was a six-foot-tall, handsome, sexy chocolate man, bald-headed, right? And I was just saying, I don't know if I belong here amongst these people. These are all young white adults, right? They can't, they can't relate to my struggles on living on the east side. Yeah, they've never slept behind a dumpster. They probably grow, grew up in well-rounded homes, you know, with two parents. And, you know, their biggest dilemma is going to the Taylor Swift concert or something like that. <laughs> I got to figure out if I want to pick up a second job just to make ends meet. See, these are real struggles that happened, right? And I'm just going to bring up the fact again that Greg's shoe game was weak. And I didn't want to be vulnerable with him. But then Greg showed me. He actually knows how to love like a brother. And I can be real with him about anything, right? My small group showed me that too. I don't know what to tell you, but there's something about having like a black grandma in my living room sharing knowledge and wisdom that just brings a part of me back to life because I lost my grandma, right? And by the time I was old enough to appreciate the relationship, she had dementia, right? So there's something that's restoring when we're honest and real, and we invite people into that. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna invite the worship team up, but I'm also, I'm going to kind of put this little, this little challenge out there. I want everybody to think of a way you can be honest and real this week. What is something you've been dealing with that nobody knows about? that needs to be addressed. So again, for some of us it might be, we might actually need some therapy and there's nothing wrong with that at all. For others of us, we need to make sure we show up for that dinner invitation and we have dinner, right? Or we need to make sure we patch things up with an individual, right? So that's the one invitation I want everybody to kind of keep in mind. So with that being said, come on up, y'all. I don't know if dragging your feet there, but <clears throat> I, I really think there's something to be said about doing community and doing it well. So I did have a few words for a few people in the audience. And 
Now, my wife is the beautiful prophetic one. I can operate in prophesying, but she could read your mail. But the Lord has been giving me a father's heart for so many people in the room. And I just think it's time that I actually, the Lord wants to highlight a few people and actually call you into who you need to be. So Ethan, my man, the Lord has called you a seer and he calls you a father amongst his people. He is saying, if you will be obedient and just open your mouth, he will be obedient to fill your mouth with his words. And he will release healing that has been stuck in people for years and decades. All you have to do is say yes and be faithful. So be faithful, man of God. You are a man of valor, you are a man of faithfulness, and you are a man of devotion. And this community needs you to step up and say yes. Luke, you are a man of strength and valor. And the Lord is, the Lord, I look at you and the Lord is saying to you, you have the blessing and you have the opportunity to step into the anointing of Jabez. Now the Lord enlarged Jabez's territory to where it just grew and it grew and it grew. And you are experiencing growth. If you will simply say yes and be obedient to all that he is laying before you, to act on those impressions, to go with your gut, because you know the Lord more than you think. And you are gonna have to learn how to steward that gift of vulnerability well. Because he's not calling you just to grow in a real sense as far as professionally, in the land you might own, and the, the business you might start. He's calling you to grow in your capacity to father and to be a manager and to be a boss. And that's going to take a man of strength, but also a man who knows how to operate in platuno. You have to be open and it has to be some tenderness and some love in it. Jordan, the Lord looks at you and he is saying he is raising you up to be a pillar in the house of the Lord. And he is giving you the breaker anointing. That breaker anointing is to break bonds and yokes that have been in place for years. And to all the men who've never had a father, all the women who have never had a father, you're gonna be a strong, healthy, loving father figure in his house. And so everything you're going through that you're not comfortable with, you gotta go through it because there are people who are gonna need that knowledge and wisdom, and you're gonna be the only one safe enough for them to receive it from. So be strong, my man, and operate in that. Glory, go ahead and take a stand with me. I'm gonna have my wife, Kim, come up and she is going to transition us into the next place. But if you would bow your heads with me, I'm gonna pray a little prayer over us before she takes the mic. So Father, I just thank you for glory. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to a place of depth and relational wholeness and that we all play a part in it. And that it is not just to come here on a Sunday morning say hi and bye and go back to our own thing. Lord, you are calling us all to make good on the investment that you have released in us. Lord, you wanna see hearts healed and whole. Father, and I just ask that you give us the grace to trust you and to be courageous and to say yes to that. So Father, bless us, Lord, with the strength and the courage to be vulnerable and honest with one another. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.